1 Samuel chapter 8. Why don't we stand together if you're physically able, and we'll read a portion of God's word. If you're not able, no worries. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, read a first couple of verses out of the chapter. Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Father, as we take some time this morning to consider your word, we think of the women at the women's retreat, that you'd bless them on their final morning together. Lord, continue to do the work you've been doing in their hearts all weekend. And Lord, for us here today, we want to hear your voice. We want you to speak into our lives. It's you that knows us intimately. It's you that knows everything we're facing, everything we're praying through, everything we're worried about. And as we as we see the story this morning of Israel demanding a king from you, Lord, I pray that you would speak right into our lives. So we love you. We thank you. We give you the glory you so deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Story is told of an airline pilot who was flying over the southeastern U.S. and He called out to the radio tower for a sound check, the local tower. He said, we're passing over at 35,000 feet. Give us a time check. And the the, the tower responded and said, well, what airline are you? The pilot said, what in the world does that matter? (laughs) What does it matter what airline? I just need a sound check as we're passing over your airspace. And the tower said, it matters a lot. If you are Trans World Airlines or British Airways, it's 1,600. If you are United or Delta, it's 4 o'clock. If you're Southern Airways, the little hands on the 4 and the big hands on the 12. And if you're Frontier Airlines, America's worst on-time airline, then you're just happy it's Thursday. That's all you need to know. That Southern Airlines was for my friends in Texas who are watching. God bless you guys. But anyways, listen, who we are affects our perspective of what we see and what's going on. It really does. It really does. And we see that as we come this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 8. You know, this is our Deliver Needed series. It's our last one, just looking at those in the Bible that God raised up to deliver us. Next week is Easter, and after that, we're going to start to look at being a man after God's own heart, a person that just longs for God as we start to focus in on David. But in our Wednesday through the Bible, we're studying right now 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is the story, basically, of how Israel goes from a nation ruled by judges. I mean, it's the Lord ruling, but he has these human instruments of judges and prophets that rule in in his place. But this is the story of how they get to be a monarchy, a, a king ruling over them that will dominate their history for the next 600 years. In chapter 8, what we're looking at today is the setup. It's how Israel came to get a king. And as we're looking at chapter 8, now on Wednesday night, we'll see all of the rise of King Saul. 
we'll see this amazing story of how God plucked him out of obscurity. And at least this Wednesday night, we'll see the good side of Saul. We'll see him do some good things as an early king. And then, well, a week, you know, the following Wednesday, we'll see his fall and the disaster that he became. But this morning, I want us to notice three perspectives out of chapter 8. Three perspectives of the story if you're taking notes. Number one, we're going to notice the perspective of the people, where the people were at. Then secondly, we're going to see the perspective of the prophet, the prophet of God and what his heart was in all of this. And finally, we're going to see the perspective of the Lord, the Lord's heart in this. And I believe God has something powerful to say to us from each of these perspectives. So if you look with me again in chapter 8, verse 1, I know we just read it, but let's see it from the perspective of the people. It says, now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and and they were judges in Beersheba, but his sons didn't walk in his ways. And they turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. The people come to Samuel, the prophet, the the priest, the, the judge, the leader of Israel under God at this time. And they say, we're tired with this system of government. We want a king. And they list their reasons. They say, you're old, Samuel. You're old. Now, some of you should get offended at this. Samuel is only 60 years old at this moment, and he will die very close to the death of Saul. Saul will reign for 40 years. That means Samuel's going to live to be 100. And they're looking at him 40 years before his death, and you're done, bro. You're done. You're old, and, and, and your sons are wicked. His sons, kind of like Eli before him, didn't walk in the ways of their dear old dad. And so they give these reasons. But if you look at verse 5, What you understand is the reason you're old and the reason your sons are wicked. Those are just excuses for the real reason. They sound like good reasons. We want good leadership. Eli's sons were a disaster. But when you see and understand the Hebrew structure, the emphasis is not put on the fact that he's old. It's not put on the fact that your sons, we don't like them, they're evil. The emphasis is what they say last in verse 5. We want a king. Why? Because we want to be like every other nation. That's their reason. You see, God had declared, I want you to be a special people, Israel. A people that's not ruled by kings and princes, but a nation ruled by me under human leaders of prophets and judges. And this system had worked pretty good for a long time. Under this system, they were freed from slavery in Egypt. Under this system, they survived 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God just miraculously providing food and water for them. Under this system, they defeated the Canaanites who were entrenched in their own land and they won Israel for themselves. Under this system, they have now survived in that land for 400 years. It's a great system. 
And they say, we know that. We realize that. But we're tired of the system. We want to be like every other nation. We want a king. And this speaks volumes to me. Because so often, you and I can desire things that we want. Things that are new. Things that are exciting. Things that are different. Not because we really need it. Not because God hasn't blessed us where we are at and who we are with. But we want this because that guy over there has that and I don't. That person over there is experiencing this and I'm not. So I want what that other person has. And I don't know how this attitude sometimes works out in you or me, but usually it's in a variety of ways. For some of you, that idea is brewing, and for you, it's relationally. Maybe you're single, and you look at other people that are married, and you say, how come I don't have that? If I just had someone to snuggle, then my life would be completely satisfied and completely fulfilled. And I hear that heart. I was there in a season in my life as we all were. But can I share with you something? What you don't see is the other people I have in my office that say, those single people, they don't know how good they have it. They can just come home whenever they want. No one's telling them what to do. Oh, Lord, please let me be single again. You see, it seems like the grass always is greener on the other side. And for some of us, what we want to change in is relationally. We want to change relationally. Some of you, you're fine with who you are with or who you're not with. For you, it's not relational. For some of you, it's vocational. I need a new job. I can't stand my job. Now, just clarify, that's, I'm, I, I don't actually feel that way. Please don't be texting Pastor Rob this morning. Jason said he doesn't like his job. Don't please, 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 please. I'm saying maybe you, you feel this way. You look at someone else and you say, that guy over there, if I did what he did, if I could do what she did for work, my life would really be fulfilled and really be happy. I want a new job. Maybe for you, you're fine with who you're with or not with. You're fine with the job that God has given you. It's not vocational or relational. For some of you, it's locational. I can't stand living in North County, San Diego. Now, if you feel that way, can I ask you a question? Have you ever lived anywhere else in your entire life? Anywhere. What what, what do you you mean? I know the weather's perfect. I know it can be 72 degrees in the middle of December and in the middle of August. But isn't there, aren't there other places like that in the world? No, there's not. No, no, there is not. No, there is not. And I know it's fun to go to the beach in the morning and ski in the afternoon because it's all close, but I'm tired of this place because the property taxes are high and the politics are liberal. If I just lived in a place where we had seasons, if I lived in a place where the politics were more like me, well, then, then I would truly be satisfied because for you, it's not relational or vocational, it's locational. I want to be in a new place. I want to live somewhere else. And we have this attitude and we bring it to the Lord. Again, God has not done any wrong to us in our lives. He's blessed us just where we're at. But we want a new relationship, a new job, somewhere new to live. And we can have this perspective, but we need to notice what the Bible says next. We understand, we get it, we sympathize and empathize with the children of Israel But let's consider the the perspective of the prophet. Verse 6 with me. The thing 
displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing so to you. Now therefore heed their voice, however, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen. And some of them will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. And he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and make some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants and female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And notice verse 18, you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel hears the people want a king, he is bummed. He's bummed because he feels like they are rejecting him. But God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But I want you, Samuel. I want you to give them what they want. I want you to give them a king. But notice, 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 God says, first, Samuel, I want you to tell my people what it's going to be like to be under a human ruler. You see, listen up if I put you to sleep already. Listen up, listen up. Israel is demanding a king to be like every other nation. The problem is they don't live in other nations. They don't know what it's like to be under a human ruler. And so God says, you've got to tell them, Samuel. You've got to tell them that an earthly king is a little hungrier than God in heaven. He requires a little bit more food to run his government. It takes a lot of people to replace God. (laughs) And even then, humans will never do it, but there's a lot of government jobs to try to fill in the gaps that God just does easily from his throne in heaven. And those government jobs require a lot of government money. And so God tells Samuel, you tell him, you tell those people what it is going to be like, that this king that you want so desperately, he is going to take, take, take. He's going to take your sons and put them into his army. He's going to make him his servants, make him his slaves. He's going to take your daughters to cook for him, to perfume him, I guess it says, and and, and be around him, to marry him. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your fields. And then verse 18 is so telling. 
He says, you are going to cry out even more, even more, even more than you're right now crying out, God, give me a king. Someday you're going to cry out even more, God, take him away. God is honest with these people. But then they say, okay, we hear what you're saying. We hear he's going to take, 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 take our kids, take our money, take our stuff. We get it. We hear you. We're going to cry out more in the end. Take them away. Then we're crying right now for them. But then they say, verse 19, but we still want a king. We hear what you're saying, Samuel. We still want to go in this direction. And that is crazy. That is tragic. That is sad. And it reminds me a lot of us. We say, well, I'm tired of this relationship. I'm tired of being single, maybe, for you. I want something new, something exciting. I'm tired of this job. I'm tired of what I have to do every single day to earn a paycheck. I'm tired of where I live. I want a new location. I I want to go in a different direction. And God says, listen, what you are wanting, at least right now, isn't good for you. Wait a second, Pastor Jason. Maybe you hear voices in your head from the Lord. But I have not heard the Lord say that what I'm praying for isn't good for me. How can you say that what I'm demanding from the Lord is like what the children of Israel, they had Samuel who came to them and told them the truth. I've never had someone tell me that what I want isn't good. Are you sure? Because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we have the clear word of God toward what we're praying about. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. And I don't mean to make light of that. I, I, I've watched my own, my own mother go through that. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But you are saying, God, I want a divorce. Do you realize you have the word of God? That God says over and over again in the word, I hate divorce. Not that he hates you. No way. He loves you. He hates what divorce produces in lives. He hates the pain that it brings. And so you have the clear word of God. Maybe for you, it's the opposite situation. You want a relationship and the guy that you're after, the girl you've got your eye on, oh, she's perfect except for she doesn't know the Lord. But Lord, I'm crying. Just do something. Do this, Lord. Do you know you have the word of God on that? Where God says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Oh, God doesn't like unbelievers. Of course God likes unbelievers. He loves unbelievers. He died for you when you were an unbeliever. He loves, but he loves you too. And he knows the pain and the misery that that will bring. And he says, don't do it. Don't do it. So often we have the word of God. We have God's word to us. There are times when we don't. There are times that the situation that we're facing, there isn't a clear word of God on the subject. But you know what we know? We can still know that what you're asking for, at least for right now, isn't good for you. How? Because Psalm 8411 says this, the verse will be on the screen. No good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. Man, let that sink into your heart, church. There isn't one good thing that God's going to withhold from you. If the season is right, if the timing is right, if it will be a blessing to you and not a hindrance, 
if it'll be a good thing and not an evil in your life, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that God will withhold from you because he loves you so much. Nothing. So what can we deduce from that? That if I'm praying, Lord, a new relationship, Lord, a new vocation, a new job, Lord, a new location, and he's not answering the prayer request, then at least for right now, for right now, it may change later, for right now, what you want isn't good for you. And now, and now, here's where we need to make a choice. You see, now that we know we're on the same page as the children of Israel, how we respond is very key. Because we can either, like them, say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to force this relationship. I'm going to force this new job situation. I'm going to force this new place to live. And you know what will happen? We will end up just like them. We'll end up in a situation that doesn't give and doesn't bless, but takes, 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 and you, mark my words, will end up crying out to God way more than you're crying now for a new man or a new woman or a new job, or a new place, you will be crying out, God, take this away. We can become just like them, or, 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 we can say, Lord, I want to trust you in this. I want to trust your timing. I want to trust what you want to do in my life. Lord, I want to trust you because you see, there's one more perspective on this that we need to see. We need to see the perspective of the Lord. Look at verse 21 with me. Then Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Now, it seems like God's into this. This is the second time God has told Samuel, give him a king, Samuel. Why are you so sure God's not into this, Pastor Jason? Because God writes a commentary on this event later in Israel's history through the prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 11, we have God's heart in this whole situation. He says this, I gave you a king, Israel, speaking of this event, I gave you a king in my displeasure and I took him away in my wrath. God says what was really going on from his perspective, what he was seeing is here's this nation demanding, whining, complaining. And God says, fine, give them what they want. Do you realize it's a sobering reality that sometimes God will give you what you want? But when that happens, because I have pushed my way, demanded my heart, can I share with you what you already know? It never works out for good. That's the problem that I have with the name it and claim it teaching. I don't have a problem with the people. I love people. I I don't want to go out on it, but I have a problem with this one thing about that kind of theology. You see, I think I know what's best for me. But God actually does. I just think I do. Isn't that true? (laughs) We all think we know what's best. Oh, Lord, let me give you the benefit of my insight. 
Lord, I've lived 36 years and I am so wise. Let me speak into your eternal heart what is good for me. We all pray that way on occasion. I think I know what's best for me. God does. And when I start demanding, I will have a new relationship. I will have a new job. I will have a new place to live. What happens? I become my king. We already have a king, gang, and he is good. He is good. And so instead of demanding my own way and saying, Lord, this is the way it's going to happen, it's much wiser to say, Lord, here's my perspective on this. Here's how I feel. But Lord, I understand you know what I can't and you see what I don't. So I gladly, happily defer to your perfect plan, to your perspective on the situation. Isn't that how Jesus even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Didn't he pray, Lord, Let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to save Jason, let's do it. Let's do it, Lord. But I'm so glad, and I bet you are too, that Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. There was no other way. There was no other way. And Jesus bowed to the perspective of his heavenly father. And I think we've lost this a little bit especially in American Christianity. We've kind of developed this have-it-your-way Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's Burger King. Have-it-your-way is Burger King. If you want to go to Burger King and say, I want pickles and I want onions and I... Amen. That's Burger King. That's not Christianity. And Israel starts to treat God like he's serving them at Burger King. And what happens? They end up in a pickle. <laughs> they end up not relishing the situation. Sorry, 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 sorry. We'll stop that. Listen, listen, listen. God always gives his best to those that leave the choice to him. Do you hear me on that? God always gives his best to those that leave the choice to him. You see, to me, what's crazy, listen up. Listen up. What's crazy in all of this is God wanted to give Israel a king. What? Now I'm confused. No, God wanted to give him a king. How do you know that? Because hundreds of years before the story we're reading, God wrote through Moses the law. And in the law, in Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 18, God says, when I appoint a king over you, Here's how he's supposed to behave. Here's what he's supposed to do. Here's how he's to follow me. God wrote it into the law that his desire was someday to give him the king. That's why I believe Israel wanted a king. God had put the desire in their heart. The problem was their motives at the moment. They wanted to be like every other nation. The problem was the timing. They were demanding a king right now in their lives. And if they just would have waited just a few years from this moment, God had a man after his own heart that he always intended to be their king. A man by the name of David. But Israel pushed They complained, and they got there what they wanted. And as we study the life of Saul over the next two two Wednesday nights, you know what we're going to discover? 
It was an unmitigated disaster. Well, this Wednesday night, it's his rise. It's good. Next Wednesday night, uh uh-uh. (laughs) He is a disaster. And the people will end up crying out over and over and over again, Lord, take him away. You see, I mention this to you because, listen, you say, I want a different relationship than I'm currently in. I want a relationship, period. (laughs) I want a new job, a new place to live. And you know what? Maybe, listen to me, maybe God has put that desire in your heart. Maybe it is his intention that you someday be married. Absolutely. Maybe it's his intention that he does want to change your career path. Maybe it's his intention that he wants you to move to a new location. It's why he's put the desire in your heart. Think about so many of the Bible characters we know. Moses knew he was supposed to be a deliverer 40 years before he actually was. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, knew he had, God had more for him than to rot in an Egyptian prison. And Saul, before he was Paul the apostle, I'm telling you, he knew God has something big for my life. But he could have never imagined what God was truly doing. You see, we know God is always good. His plans toward us are what, church? They are good. And we know this. We believe this. So whether it's relational or vocational or locational, I think the word of the Lord for some of us is wait. Wait. I know you think you need a change of relation or a change of vocation or a change of location, but wait upon the Lord to confirm that. Wait upon the Lord to make it crystal clear. If not, you will find yourself in the same place as Israel. Oh, this guy looks pretty kingly. (laughs) That seems like what you've put in my heart. That girl seems pretty foxy. That opportunity seems like your promise, Lord. That new place seems to fit into your word in my heart. Friends, God has put in your heart a desire for a person, a place, a king. But the key is not to force his hand. The desire was put in there by him in the first place. And the children of Israel will force his hand and they will get an unmitigated disaster. And as a pastor, I've seen this. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others' lives over and over again. People who love God, who walk with God, who have God's promise in their heart. But because we're humans, we come to a point where we say, Lord, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting on you. I am going to make this thing happen in my life. And if we take that step, I share this with you because I love you. It will also be a disaster. Oh, the people looked at Saul, as we'll see on Wednesday night, and he looked like a king. He was a head taller than everybody else. But they should have known. You can't trust tall people. Sorry, sorry, just kidding, just kidding. As a short guy, I gotta, I gotta throw that in. I gotta throw that in. Goliath, Saul, I see a pattern. But anyways, anyways, anyways. No, they should have known. God, if I trust you and I cling to you, you will do this thing in my life in your timing. But they didn't. And they get Saul. And Saul's a disaster. And listen, listen, for a season, 
They miss David. What? Yeah, let's not forget that David is a great general and a leader long before he ever becomes king. And while Saul is chasing him around the mountains and making his life miserable all that time, David could have been leading the children of Israel into victory and prosperity. They missed him for a season, for a season. You see, I I mention this to all of you. I bring it up because I believe many of us need to hear this. And we need to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for being so impatient and impetuous, for thinking that I need to fix this, that I need to make this happen instead of waiting upon the Lord, loving him, listening to him, letting him bring about what he has promised in your heart, remembering God always gives his best to those that leave the choice to him. Before we go our way, two things to take away from this. Maybe for some of you, you hear this and you think, that's a good word, Pastor Jason, but you preached it two years late. Your timing is off. Speak about off timing. Your timing is off. I needed this two years ago because I made a decision and I forced my will and I forced my way. I demanded a new job. I demanded a new place. I demanded a new person. And now I'm stuck with Saul. Oh, I thought he was kingly and said he's a disaster. I thought this new job was going to be the heart of the Lord, and now I'm crying out every day, God, help me. You're a little late on this sermon. So what do I do now? Oh, the Lord has a heart for you. In chapter 12, we'll study it in its entirety on Wednesday night, but in chapter 12, it's Saul's coronation, his coming out party. And Samuel, as he's coronating the new king, He's preaching to the people of Israel. He says to them, I didn't do you any harm. I was, I was a good judge, Samuel saying, and you rejected me. <laughs> upset. And then he says, and worse than that, God has never been wrong to you ever. And you rejected him and you demanded a king. So here he is. Wouldn't have been weird to be Saul in that moment. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I'm your mistake. Welcome. It would have been horrible to be Saul in that moment. But then, listen, 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 listen. Then Samuel says this to the people. He says, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Samuel says, here's your king. Get what you asked for. Here he is. But here's what you do now. You serve God with the king that you have chosen. You continue to cling to Jesus in the situation that you have forced. That is not what I want to hear. No, I want a new king. I want a new job. I want a new location. Would you learn from your mistakes? Maybe God wants that for you too. So would you trust him to bring it about instead of walking into a new disaster, to a new problem? Would you trust him and serve God with your king? Because if you do, God's going to bless you right where you're at. And if God wants to change the situation, 
He's God. He can do whatever he wants. No good thing will he withhold from him who walks upright. The second thing to take away is this. Maybe you haven't made the decision yet. Oh, your heart's wrestling this morning. I want to make this thing happen. I need to go in a different direction. I've got to see this happen. Can I say to you, would you wait for your deliverer? Would you wait for your deliverer? Would you learn from 1 Samuel chapter 8 that if we're going to force my will and my timing, I will end up more often than not with a disaster. I know the feelings are real. They may have been put there by God. So wait for your God. Wait for your deliverer. Be patient. Oh, patient. I don't like that word, patient. Anybody like that word, patience? I don't like patience. I'm impatient with patience. I really am. I want it my way right now. Why? Why? Why do I have to be patient? One last verse this morning. Look at what it says in James chapter 1. Man, James 1, Jesus' bold little half-brother. Listen to what he has to say. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? This James is crazy. Why would I count it joy when I'm in a trial? A trial hurts. Oh, he tells you. He tells you. Here's the why. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Oh, oh, he goes on. But let, but let, but let patience have its perfect work. Why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, you see, I'm almost done. Hear me on this. Don't tune me out. Problem is, there's something in here that's lacking. It's not that God wants to withhold something good for me. It's that there's something in here he's working on in my own heart. And the working on process, it's difficult. I know the hurt is real in your heart. I know the trials are overwhelming at times. We like to pretend that they're not. You know, we write these little worship songs and we sing about trials. And in our songs, they sound so nice, don't they? Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire. Like, like, like his refiner's fire is a pillow. Fire hurts, friends. If you're a sword being beaten and burned, that sword isn't like, refiner's fire. That sword's like, ow, ow, that hurts. But it's necessary. We sing, you are the potter, I am the clay. Like we're dancing with Jesus. You've seen it. The potter goes, That clay, if it had feelings, would be like, ow, ah, what are you doing? It hurts. And I I know it does. I know it does. But you've got to realize God's doing something in you that can be done no other way. You see, we want to get out of the fix that God has us in. We want to get out of it. And sometimes we can. Listen, listen, listen. 
God's trying to fix you. And so if you get out of the fix that God's put you in, because he loves you, he's just going to put you in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. So instead, instead, how about we trust? Instead, how about we let patience have its work on us that I realize I lack. And between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, during the time of patience, God is working on me and preparing me. Again, Moses knew he was the deliverer of Israel 40 years before he was. But Moses needed those 40 years to be prepared. Joseph, 40 years, gang. Oh, please, Lord, no. (laughs) Joseph, Joseph knew he was to be more than just a prisoner in Egyptian prison. But he needed the prison to become the ruler of Egypt. And so God worked on him for 13 years, friends. 13 years. Paul knew God had something big for him when he was a Pharisee. God's got something big. He had no idea that he would become the second most effective man to ever walk the earth. But he needed to be prepared for that. And God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you know what I'm going to do in you. I've whispered it in your heart. I've made you promises. And I know, I know, I know you're tired of waiting. I know you're frustrated. But you let patience have its work in you. You let me take that lack out of your heart. Aren't you tired of lacking? Aren't you tired of going through life and circumstances? They come and go, and yet deep in your soul, you know, I lack. And when you're honest with yourself, you know the lack isn't going to be fulfilled with any new relationship, any new job, any new venue, because you realize the lack is in you, not in your surroundings. So what do we do? We let patience have its work. We wait for our deliverer. We wait for the one who gives his best to those that leave the choice to him. We realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we pray like the old hymn says, rule over my soul. Rule over my soul, sweet spirit. Rule over my soul. My rest is complete when I sit at your feet. Sweet spirit, rule over my soul. Father, we come before you today, and we need your sweet spirit to rule over our soul because our souls can be impatient. Our souls can be impetuous. We make demands of you, but Lord, we realize It is you that knows what's best for our lives. We just think we do. And so, Lord, we want to hear your heart today. If we forced our way into a situation, we want to serve you with the king that we have forced and let you be God. Let you change the situation if you so desire. But, Lord, if we haven't, 
Guard our hearts and guard our minds. Comfort our hearts that want to take things into our own hands, that are tired of waiting, that are tired of patience. And Lord, may you work in us what needs to be worked in. May you take out our heart of stone and replace it with your heart, a heart that beats after you. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that maybe hasn't even begun that relationship with you. We've talked about a lot of things today. Lord, you know that our family stuff, people that know you and love you, things that we need to work through. But Lord, there may be some here today who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. They walked away from you. And Lord, you're calling them home. Lord, your word applies to them that no good thing will you withhold from him who walks uprightly. That doesn't mean that serving you is easy. doesn't mean that it doesn't have any trials. It certainly does. But our trials now have purpose and meaning as you're shaping us and working in us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to start their journey and their walk with you, they respond to your heart for them. It's you that died upon a cross for them, as we'll learn and see on Friday night. And it was you, by the power of your spirit, that raised from the dead, as we'll see next Sunday morning. But Lord, I I don't want anyone to wait seven days to enter into a relationship with you. Tomorrow is promised to no man. I pray that today, if there's anyone here that needs to say, Lord, my heart is yours. I believe in you, and I receive the gift salvation, the gift of eternal life that you have purchased for me, that right now, those people would be just saying that to you. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I need your salvation. I want to surrender my life to you. For the rest of us, God, may we trust you, who we know loves us because we know you died for us. And if you would do that, Lord, we know no good thing, no good thing will you withhold. Drive that deep into our hearts, we pray, as we close in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.